The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. It's time to find out the stories behind the stories. Welcome to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective. Get ready for some amazing guests, along with Nick's own expertise and insight behind some of today's top news in sports. The where, why, and how. Now, here's your host, Nick Ferguson. Ferguson Secondary Perspective. I am your host. Mario Vitanzi is out yet again. I, I tell you what, he just got engaged and he's been out two weeks. Very interesting stuff. We had to talk to him when he, once he uh, joins us again next week. But that's right. Ebony and Ivory. I mean, that is a song that, that, that warms my heart. Every time that I hear, I hope it does the same for you as well. That is a song that Ferguson, Missouri, if you haven't heard uh, and, and what's going on down there, that is a place that desperately need a little bit of ebby, ebony and ivory down in that neck of the woods in that part of the country. We're going to talk to Caesar McKnight, uh, who's running for the Democratic candidate for South Carolina State Senate District 32, alumni of Morris Brown, and, and, and he knows law. This is a guy who knows law. He, he's practiced criminal defense law law in the South Carolina area. We'll talk to him about uh, Ferguson, Missouri, and the shooting of Michael Brown and get his take on that. Also joining the program, we're going to have Herman Edwards. You know him, former Chiefs and Jeff Jets head coach, going to join the program. You know, I'm, I'm a little excited right, right now uh, because NBA schedule came. I'm going to ask Herman about that. I think he's a uh, Lakers fan, if I'm not mistaken. But, yes, here he is. We have him, the man himself. Him and his Hermanisms, you know, you play to win the game, and and I remember that. Even my son knows that statement. Herman Ambers joins the program. Herm, Coach, thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it, Nick. All right, Coach, uh, real, real quickly. Uh, I know you, you, you're a very fashionable gentleman, and Roland Martin was on our program a couple of weeks back, and he has a website that features ascots, pocket squares, and ties. Once again, I, I know you're very fashionable, and you wear a lot of socks. Tell me Herman Edwards has a, a website where, where, where people can go and buy their premier socks, the Herman Edwards edition. Well, <laughs> I don't know if they're the edition, but obviously um, half of my sock collection is picked out by my daughters, believe it or not. And they get on the website uh, with my wife, and they kind of look at different kind of socks. I always tell them, Make sure you don't pick socks with people on them. I don't like <laughs> socks with people on them. But other than that, um, I kind of go through them and then we just kind of 
have a little fun with it. And it started, obviously, when I started working for ESPN. And now, all of a sudden, it seems like everyone in the studio has picked up their sock game. So that's a good thing. <laughs> well, well, even being outside the game, you still have a way of influencing uh, players. Uh, let's talk about that influence. Okay, this is the preseason. And usually that first preseason game is very vanilla. From a coaching standpoint, you know, when you get to that second and third game, talk about how the scheme and the game plan changes from preseason game one to two and three. Well, I think this happens, Nick, and you know this, your former player. Um, basically, you know, preseason is about evaluation. It's an it's evaluation process. And you want to make sure the young guys have the ability to be evaluated in the sense of that, what they're asked to do. So, well, a lot of the young guys, you're, you're going you're gonna to look things you're asking them to do, whether it be on defense or offense, make it real simple for them. In other words, simplify what they have to do. That's the first. And then the second one, you get into more of, okay, we're going to, I want to see my veteran guys play a little bit more. Um, it's about plays rather than series. Uh, you're going to add a little bit more to their plate. The younger guys, obviously, you're going to add a little bit more to their plate. And then the third preseason game, you know, as you know, that's the dress rehearsal. That's the one where basically you're going to put in a little bit of a game plan. Not, not a big one, but you want to see uh, the retention of young guys, uh, mm-hmm. how they retain uh, as far as the game plan goes, what we prepared on all week, uh, and then put them in the game. And, and a lot of those young guys at that point in time, especially if you feel like you're, you'd like to get them in there with some of the starters. Now, you don't wholesale them. You just kind of you, you put them in, in different spots where they can feel, and, and, and I know you know this, you're a veteran guy, third preseason game, the speed is a little bit faster. And, and the veterans know, you know what, I got to get ready because that's the one, basically, you're trying to get guys in, in, into season mode of playing football, uh, which is very important. Because the fourth preseason game, veteran guys are not playing a whole lot. Right. So that's the one where everyone gets into the right frame of mind, and you're still evaluating them. But it's critical that you want your, your, your starting guys and your front-line players to play well in that game because that's going to be about it before they, before they kick the season off. You know, there's a lot of rookie coaches uh, in the NFL right now, and, and you uh, became the, the head coach of the New York Jets. No coordinating experience, uh, no head coaching experience. You know, for minority coaches out there right now who are looking to get into the NFL, whether it's their first job or maybe in a coordinated position where they they can later be there for considered for a head coaching job, what type of advice do you have? For those individuals, well, first thing I would do is with this is uh, make sure you're you're in the process of always learning. Don't get stuck uh, on one thing. In other words, the more you can get out, if you can visit pro camps, um, if you can go to clinics, do that. But the best thing to do, obviously, is um, get yourself in position where you can maybe do an internship or you're invited to a camp where you can really see the workings of that, and then. It, I've always said this, regardless if you're a college coach, high school coach, and if you're a position coach or a coordinator, your best, your, your best work and really your best asset is the players that play for you. Right. Because they kind of autograph your performance. They autograph and really demonstrate what kind of coach you are, how they play, how they're taught to play the positions. That goes along with you. You know, that, re- that, that represents you. I've, that's why I've always told players, hey, look, I can't play anymore, but when you take the field, there's certain things I'm going to demand of you as a, as a player 
because these are the things I believe in. And I think if you, when when other coaches view the tape of the guys you're coaching, they look at that. There's a standard to play that you have to make sure your players understand. They have to live up to. Right now, now Mike, Mike uh, Patton in Cleveland is, is a head coach, and he's trying to decide right now: does he go with his veteran and Brian Hoyer, or does he go with the media darling and Johnny Manziel? As a New York Jets coach, you placed in that kind of same situation. You had Chad Pennington out of Marshall, well, I, I, and then you had uh, Vinny Testaverde. One thing about football, especially if you let guys compete, mm-hmm. um, you listen to your eyes. Right. You, you don't listen to the people that are, you know, sitting up in the stands or us as, as, as media people saying, hey, you know what, if I was doing this, this is your team. And your eyes don't lie. And right. the thing about, I always said this about practicing and, 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 and letting guys participate in practice know who the good players are. Mm-hmm. You can't fool the players. <laughs> right. They know who the best players are. So if, if you if if they know and you know, then you play the best player. You give the you play the, the guy that gives you the best chance to win. That that's the bottom line because this is what it's about. Players want to win, coaches want to win, everybody wants to win, but you gotta put the best players out there. Now Johnny Manziel obviously is one of those guys he's a wow factor. Mm-hmm. He can make some plays obviously unscripted. Well, Hoyer's gonna—he's gonna be the guy that's on the script all the time. But at the end, it's a matter of what team, what quarterback can I trust to go in the game and not lose the game. In other words, not turning the ball over, doing the things that's required in our system. Now, both these guys are a little bit different. How you play in the system—that's all up to the play call. But I think at the end, you listen to your eyes. So, coach, tell me—I mean, you've coached in the league for a lot of time and you, for a long time, and you played yourself. You know, how is it that you manage? a lot of these, you know, egos of these star players in the NFL. How do you do that? I don't think it's very hard at all. I think most, most players want to be coached. Uh, you, you better be consistent how you're coaching. Um, I've always said this. I treat everyone fair. I don't treat everyone the same because that's what happens in life. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're a great player, you know what? Expectations are, are on you. I get that. My job is to make sure I help you. To, to achieve those expectations. Now, along with that, you know, more is given, but also more is asked. And that's the conversation you have with those guys when you first take over. You're going to inherit a team that's going to have some stars on there. So that um, you expect certain things out of these guys. Now, with that being said, uh, you know, it works both ways. It's the old story. Help me to help you. Right, exactly. And you can have that conversation and you can be truthful with these guys, they'll respect you. Well, well Coach, you know, Colin Kaepernick just signed, a, I guess, a team-friendly deal with the 49ers, and he recently said that he feels that a lot of the harsh criticism that he has been receiving is because of the stereotypes and the prejudice and the tattoos, that he doesn't dress like a typical quarterback, he doesn't talk like a typical quarterback. Is it fair to judge a quarterback of this caliber, you know, this harshly? Well, I don't know if, it, if it's fair. You know, who said life's fair? Right. Life's never been fair. I mean, you know that, Nick. See, people think life's supposed to be fair. Life's not fair. Life's mm-hmm. about opportunity. It ain't fair. Okay, so let's, let's, let's stop living on that premise that life's supposed to be fair, because it's not. Right. We see it every day. We see it every Life's about opportunity. Now, when you get your opportunity... Obviously, you got to take advantage of it. And, and, and Colin Kaepernick, obviously, um, he beats to a different drummer, which is okay. 
And as long as he's successful, he's going to be fine. Now, when he's not successful, they'll blame it on whatever they want to blame it on. But I think mm-hmm. the, the, the thing is this, you know, the, the biggest thing that most people struggle with, and I've seen this just historically with young people, with growing up in life, you know, we, we always get caught up in, in sometimes listening to what other people say. And the greatest obstacle in life are created by people that put limits on your, your expectations. And you can't allow that to happen. You can't, you can't buy into that. And right. I think if, if, if you're an athlete, if you're a doctor, lawyer, young, young person growing up, and you set your own expectations. You, you don't allow people to limit your expectations. Because when you do that, you're falling into that trap. And you can't do that. And so I think Colin Kaepernick is, is playing quarterback. Whether he has tattoos, whether he wears his helmet to the, uh, his hat to the side or whatever, I, I just think at the end, he's going to be judged on how he plays quarterback. If you just joined the program, we're talking to longtime NFL head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs and the New York Jets now, NFL analyst Herman Edwards. Coach, there's a huge game. Well, I don't want to call it a huge game, but it's a preseason game. It's on ESPN tonight at 8 o'clock, the Jags versus the Bears, and you have Jay Cutler, and it's kind of like a make-or-break season for him. I mean, in eight seasons, one playoff game. I mean, do you think Jay Cutler on the Mark Tressman system can actually win that division? Because Brandon Marshall said, well, he sees Jay Cutler as being the MVP of the NFL this season. Is that possible? Well, defense. Uh, and, and they've done some things. They brought in Jared Allen. Um, you know, when you think about some of the guys that went out and got, uh, as far as the solidified the defense, Tillman is back now. Uh, they were hurt last year. Uh, they, they had some guys injured. So those guys are back. Briggs is back. Um, offensively, they have a playoff offense. There's no doubt. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, 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 you know, they, they've got guys. Uh, it starts with the tight end, Bennett, Jeffries, Marshall. Uh, Forte. I mean, so they they they, they really have uh, a potent offense defensively. If they can keep up, and that in that division, you think about it, no one's really playing good defense over there. Not even Green Bay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's I think it's a battle between Green Bay and and Chicago. And I think the one that wins that division will be the team that plays the best defense because um, Green Bay we know is going to move the ball, and uh, Chicago can move it. They've shown they can do that. So if you were coaching against the Packers and, or the Chicago Bears, what tandem would make you a little more fearful for your quarterback? The tandem of Jared Allen and Lamar Houston for Chicago or Clay Matthews and Julius Peppers? Well, you know, it, I, I say this. I think, you know, football is about situations. Mm-hmm. And obviously, if you're a team that's behind and you have to throw, that's never good for the quarterback. That's never. never good for an offense. So both these teams, when you think about guys that can come off the edge and, and get after the quarterback, they have the ability to do that. So a lot, a lot to say to that is that you know who's going to have a, who's going to have a lead. And I, I think if you have a lead uh, in the midway of the third quarter and you're down a couple scores. You only got one thing to do. You got to throw it. Now that plays into their hand. That's why you see teams more now than ever trying to get rushers and, and, and some corners uh, that can press you outside to make the quarterback hold the ball so you can get after him. So I think in both those cases, if you got to lead in the, in the middle of the third quarter, you better look out. 
<laughs> well, Coach, before I let you get out of here, uh, you know, you always had this saying that, and if hopefully I'm quoting you correctly, that nothing great happens after 11 o'clock. And each, each year we see so many players finding themselves uh, on the NFL ticker, out in the news, talking about what they're doing and their offseason is always that 80-20 rule. But now, over the past few years, we've seen some NFL executives see themselves on the opposite side of that as well. But we've seen more media attention gravitating towards the players more so than those executives. I mean, what do you think is the reason for this imbalance? Well, I think, obviously, uh, when you look at that situation, it's a 12 o'clock rule. Nothing ever good happens at 12 o'clock. That's my rule, and it generally holds up. I think that if you're an executive, if you're a coach, if you're anyone in the front office, obviously um, you're going to be held to a to a higher responsibility. And uh, when you when you fail that, um, it should. Be. Uh, I know I have a platform to talk about it. I don't. I don't let it go by the wayside at all. Uh, I think if you sit in that seat of leadership. Um, you're, you're held to a higher standard of accountability uh, because you because because you represent that organization and everything you say. Obviously, players are looking at and they watch you. You know, I've always said this: if you're going to be a man of integrity, your words and your life have to match up, and that's very important because that that's that's the trust build. I mean, you have to be able to walk the walk, but after you after you talk it, and when you don't do that, and I'm not going to say you can't make errors. We all make errors in life, but I think you have to be forthright when you make it. Um, apology is, is required, obviously, uh, to the team because you've embarrassed the team, you've embarrassed the organization, whether you be a player or an administrator. And then uh, I think when you look at the commissioner, he has to make sure that um, whatever circumstance you put yourself in, he has to make sure that the uh, you know the punishment fits it. And for the for the most part, you know he's done a pretty good job. I think here as of as of late, the Ray Rice deal, I think. When you talk about the league policy and as well as Baltimore's, so I just think going forward, uh, the league has always said you know they want to protect the shield and they want to set the standard. Um, they have to continue to continue to do that because uh, this league is, as you know, is, is viewed by millions of fans, and everything we do is looked at. Coach, great stuff. Before I let you get out of here, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this. Uh, can you give me one of those uh, famous Herman Edwards sound bites, one of those Hermanisms, if you will? <laughs> well, I, you know, they just kind of come out, uh, Nick. <laughs> I, I don't just, you know, I mean, the situation has to arise. I know one thing, and you, you'll remember this. I always used to say, especially with my Lakers when they were in Inglewood, it's all Inglewood. Well, guess what? It's not good in Inglewood right now. <laughs> no, 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 got, it is not, six, not coaching. I hope those Lakers We ain't getting actually, one no time soon, it don't look like. No, it's not. Hopefully, Byron Scott can uh, help that team rebound and Kobe Bryant can possibly get himself in the playoff picture. Coach, once again, thank you for joining the program. I wish you the, the best. And I'm going to see if I can go find me some of those Herman Edwards socks. There you go, my friend. I appreciate you, Nick. All right. Talk thank you, Coach. You. Appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was Herman Edwards, ESPN analyst and former head coach of both the Kansas City Chiefs and the New York Jets. After we come back and I tribute to the late, great Robin Williams. You listen to Nick Ferguson, Secondary Perspective on Voice America Sports. Yeah. 
Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Englehart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune in to All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Sports and medicine go hand in hand. Quite simply, if you aren't up to your game health-wise, you won't be up to your game on the field. That's where Bruce the Sports Doc comes in. Dr. Bruce Grossinger uses his medical training and experience to bring you a link between sports and medicine. From the latest advances and treatments to discussion behind the injuries of the week, Bruce the Sports Doc and his team of guest experts are here each week to lay it on the line in terms that you can understand. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. You're listening to Secondary Perspective with Nick Ferguson. To get in the lineup for today's show, please call 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to nickfergshow at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Poetry is about saying something from your heart. Something personal, okay? People call these things imperfections, but they're not. Oh, that's the good stuff. And then we get to choose who we let into our weird little worlds. Let's fight one of the most terrible diseases of all, indifference. You care. First the money, now this. Oh, that's so sweet. Oh, you fabulous guy. But also to improve the quality of life. That's why you treat a disease, you win, you lose. You treat a person, I guarantee you, you win. But the question is whether or not you're perfect for each other. I'm in love with you. That's the whole deal. That's what intimacy is all about. Now you can know everything in the world, sport, but the only way you're finding out that one is by giving it a shot. That voice and that montage, sadly, is the voice of a great actor, a very versatile actor, and that's Robin Williams. And, you know, maybe I'm going to date myself on this one. I remember as a kid, uh, sitting on the floor in my grandmother's house and watching uh, re- reruns of Mork and Mindy and Happy Days 
and, and for me as a kid growing up in inner city, it was kind of uh, cool to see those things. And not a lot of inner city, inner city kids uh, watch shows of, of that caliber. But um, Robin Williams uh, leaves a, a legacy uh, behind him. And let, let me give you a couple of his movies. And, I, and I'm going to tell you some of the ones that, that actually stick out to me and, and my family. Uh, Jumanji. Now, if, if you've never seen this, this movie, it's a, it's a great uh, family movie. It's really funny. My kids, my kids love that movie. Miss Doubtfire, Hook, uh, Night at the Museum. Who could not forget his unforgettable role as uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt and, uh, excuse me, Teddy Roosevelt. And what about this? Good morning, Vietnam. Great stuff by Robin Williams. And it's going to be sadly missed. And, you know, Patch Adams, great movie. If you haven't seen it, go out and watch it. You know, one of my wife's uh, favorite movies and man of the year kind of give a different perspective and approach on, you know, on politics. But I love Robin Williams. And, and, and when my wife told me and gave me the breaking news that uh, he was gone, I said, Robin Williams, I mean, you're talking about the actor? Robin Williams, and she said yes, and I'm just like, wow, wow, how is that possible? And I think sometimes we we take our stars, our celebrities for granted, not to mention our own family members uh, for granted, and our life for granted, because at a moment's notice, it can all be taken away from us. So with that, I say, you know, so long, farewell, Mr. Robin Williams. We will miss you, but your legacy will live on through the work that you left behind uh, for us. And once again, for all the listeners that are out there listening and my people in Arizona, please, if you will, if there is a family member that for some reason you guys have some kind of discrepancy, some family issue, and you haven't spoken in some times, please try to rectify those situations because once again, life is a precious thing and it can be here today and gone tomorrow. Before we had Herman Edwards on, and great stuff from uh, old ball coach Herman Edwards, great guy, better man. Uh, we were starting to open up and talk about the NBA season once again, which I am uh, excited for, I'm elated for. It's not here yet. It's not here yet. But the schedule has come out. And for me, of course, anyone who knows me knows that, you know, I'm a Miami Heat fan. Let's just go ahead and get it out there right away. And some Individuals have taken to Twitter or send me emails from time to time saying that I'm a bandwagon rider. But for those individuals, I say yet again, and I say yet again, no, I'm not a bandwagon rider. I remember that team sitting in the rafters, sitting in the nosebleed seats, Sherman Douglas, Ronnie Cyclic. I suffered through some harsh years as a Miami Heat fan. And I wore my, my banner, my, my, my flag for my team, you know, proudly then, and I even wave it and speak very boisterous even now. So once again, October 29th opens the NBA season and the Heat versus the Wizards. That should be a, should be a great one as well. But some of the dates that I've circled on my calendar, November 12th, the Pacers versus the Heat, no Lance Stevenson and no Paul George, who injured his leg playing in the FIBA Basketball challenge, a heartbreaking injury for, for Paul George. 
I wish him uh, the best of luck in his recovery. But I think this is the game that all Miami Heat fans, and I think the NBA, and I think it was placed, placed this way for a specific reason. Christmas Day. Now, normally on Christmas Day, we are delighted to family, great food, kids opening presents. But the NBA puts together uh, probably four of the best games that you can see from 12 to about 6 that evening. But I think one of the biggest games that everyone is going to be looking forward to, whether you are a Heat fan, whether you're a Cavs fan, is that game December 25th, the Cavs at the Heat. Now, here's my question. When LeBron James walks back into the building, is he going to get a warm reception of thunderous applause? Or is it going to be a barrel full of bulls? And, and, and let me toss something else in there, too, as, as well. Uh, you know, the four-letter network radio talk show host Dan Lebertard was suspended after putting up a billboard in Akron. Of, of, of all places. And it reads, you're welcome, LeBron, love Miami, and it has those two championship rings uh, on it. So I wonder if that's going to add to the the, the co- competition between these two teams and sweeten, sweeten the pot. And maybe the Heat fans may not give LeBron of applause. They may give him some booze, but that is the NBA. They love you while you're a part of the team. But once you move on to wear a different jersey, it's entirely something different. But, Miami Heat fans, I understand. I get it. Here's a guy who is basically forming a Miami Heat-like team in Cleveland, and he could have did it in Miami. So I get it. So maybe there'll be a mixture of applause, a little, little booze, you know, sprinkled up here and there. But th- that should be very interesting. But... Here's another thing with that NBA schedule that has come out. The L.A. Lakers now have a new coach in Bryant and Byron Scott. And you're talking about a team of Kobe Bryant, Carlos Boozer, Jeremy Lin, Jordan Hill, Nick Young, Julius Randle, and Steve Nash. And, you know, Herm is a, a fan of the Los Angeles Lakers. And when you look at that Lakers schedule, I mean, it's it's – it's a little brutal. You know, they have a couple of games that are back-to-back. And football doesn't have that. Baseball and basketball, definitely. You know, let's kind of look at a, a couple of these back-to-back games. They have a game October 28th and the 29th, Houston and Phoenix. I mean, it, they're still on the West Coast, but back-to-back games are, are going to be really tough. And I wonder how that's going to play with Kobe Bryant and his recent injuries coming off that Achilles uh, injury him, himself. But I think most Lakers fans are wondering about what type of team they're going to have, about the chemistry. Yeah, you have Julius Randle out of Kentucky, but is he going to be able to adjust to the NBA game right away? Is Kobe going to be the old Kobe of old? Is he going to pass the ball, or is he going to feel the necessity of taking the game over himself? There's a lot to see with this Lakers team, but we do know there's a team down the hall called the L.A. Clippers, and they're ready. They're poised. They're ready. No more Dallas Sterling. The team has been sold. They're ready to move on. Doc Rivers, CP3. But I guess the Lakers still have those banners hanging in the rafters. 
until you hang one of those banners in the Raptors, LA Clippers, it is still Laker town. But interesting to watch nonetheless. Interesting to watch nonetheless. Uh, coming up later on the program, we're going to talk to Caesar McKnight, uh, criminal, federal criminal defense attorney and personal injury det- attorney. And he is running for South Carolina State Senate in the District 32. We're going to talk to him about the Michael Brown incident in Ferguson, Missouri, and get his take on it. And and before we get Caesar on the program, you know, I have this book, and it's called The Way to Happiness. And, and, and I'm going to read for a, a bit from it. And, and this one here says, set a good example. And it goes, there are many people want influences. The influence can be good or can be bad. If one conducts his life to keep these recommendations, one is setting a good example. Others around one can't help but be influenced by this no matter what they say. And the reason, of course, that I I, I read that to you is when I go out and speak to kids, I make sure I take this book out and I sign and I give it to them because, you know, we definitely need something to restore the moral fabric in our, our, our society. And, of course, I'm reading that because of the Michael Brown incident. And we have to understand this. As people, as friends, as co-workers, we're going to have differences. That's going to happen. But we can't allow those differences or those stereotypes or prejudices to manifest into something else. Because we've seen enough of it. Growing up in Miami as a kid, as a young teen, I've seen several instances where young black teens were harassed, maybe even Young Hispanic kids were harassed at the same time based on stereotype. And I'll I'll say this too as well. You have a responsibility as an individual to make sure you do what you're doing to not perpetuate the stereotype. I I know I'm probably going to get some criticism that, hey, it doesn't make a difference how you dress, how you look. No one should have a stereotype against you. But let's let's be fair here. If you walk around with your pants sagging down, it sends the wrong message. No, you might not be a thug. You might be a well-educated person. But, but let's not perpetuate the stereotype and, and keep it going. Let's try to do something a little different. Young men, black, white, Hispanic, whatever, let's pull up our pants. You know, let's, let's be respectful of ourselves. Command that respect from other people. Maybe we can avoid some of this nonsense that is taking place in the streets because, you know, as a black man, uh, I am frustrated. I am frustrated. As a man, as a citizen, I am frustrated. These things need to stop. They have to stop. And the only way that they're going to stop is if we are proactive in doing something about it. And that's once again, that's why I take this book out, The Way to Happiness, with me, and I hand it out. I give it to kids. I say, read this. And the, my number one precept in this book, and it's 21 in this book, is flourish and prosper. And that means when the chips are down, everything seems like they're stacked against you. Life is throwing 
a barrage of punches threatening to put you on that cam- canvas of failure. Just remember, believe in yourself. If no one else does, believe in yourself. Because if you don't believe in you, no one else will. And everything starts with you. Take your own life in your own hands. Change your situation. If you don't like the way you're living, change it. Don't look for anyone else to change it. You change it. You get out there and change it. You get out there and you educate yourself. You demand and you command the level of respect, whether it's from your brother, your mother, your girlfriend, your boss, the police officers. Know your rights. Know your human rights so you know exactly what an individual can and cannot do. But I know it is, it is a devastating thing for the Mike Brown and his family. And, you know, we had the Trayvon Martin thing that took place some, some time ago. But that tells us right now uh, the moral fabric in our society is broken. And we have to fix it. And the only individuals to do that is ourselves. And, and we're going to talk to Caesar McKnight, get his take on it, and, and figure out, you know, what are his plans as he runs for the state senate in South Carolina, can he come up with some proper uh, solutions for situations like this? Because it, 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 it is bad to see these heinous acts uh, occurring uh, in, in the street. Uh, and whether against it's a you know, young black teen that's unarmed or it is a, a father who's taking his kids to a game and he's pulled over uh, by some cops. We have to change this, people. Uh, if you are sick and tired of it, just as much as I'm sick and tired of it, and, and as we would often say, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And if you are as well as I am, let's do something about it. And I, I think that starts with educated conversation and dialogue about situations like this. And we don't have to get mad. We don't have to get upset. We don't have to let our frustrations push us to a point of moving to violence. It's only through educated dialogue. Educated dialogue, I'm going to say that again, is that we are able to work through these differences because it is possible. When we choose not to act on our impulse to have dialogue is when these stereotypes continually are perpetuated. So for me, sitting on my soapbox here, uh, I say that to you, I have this platform for a reason, and I want to make sure I use it uh, properly to bring awareness to certain things that are troubling, not those in the Hispanic community, not those in the black community, society as a whole, and know that we can turn this around. We can turn this around. So that's enough for me sitting on my soapbox, give you my spiel for today, and it's Throwback Thursday. So that's my throwback spill. So up next on the show, Caesar McKnight. You know what the problems are. Let's see if he can give us a couple of solutions. That's Nick Ferguson, secondary perspective. Don't change the dial. Go call your friends. Tell them to come back and join us. You don't want to miss this after the break. Force American Sports. <laughs> The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds 
Bart. They need to finish his ass and then move oh, on. I just, and get I just ready. think that the coach made a mistake. Oh, crazy. <laughs> NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter. Formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams, Kwame's got the experience. So he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. Get ready for an unpredictable, fun, and sometimes sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're listening to Secondary Perspective with Nick Ferguson. To get in the lineup for today's show, please call 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to nickferkshow at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. One hand in the air, if you don't really care. Two hands in the air, if you don't really care. It's like that sometimes, I mean ridiculous. It's like that sometimes, ridiculous. All right, my next guest, Caesar McKnight, criminal law, defense, and personal injury attorney in the South Carolina area. And if you're in the South Carolina area and you are listening, make sure... You go out September 2nd, that's right, September 2nd, and punch that poll for the Democratic candidate for South Carolina State District 32, that's Caesar McKnight. Caesar, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Nick. Glad to be here. Good to talk to you. Yes, yes, good to talk to you as well. Obviously, that you're in our Real Talk segment, so let's get into a little bit of Real Talk. Uh, Real Talk, Ferguson, Missouri. Michael Brown, if you don't know, was an unarmed man who was shot by police and, I mean, set the city ablaze, literally. A lot of individuals are very upset. Uh, I think society as a whole, they're tired of having things like this happening in their community and nothing being done. And with you being a criminal defense uh, lawyer, I mean, talk talk about this. What are your take on it? Because once again, we know what the problems are in our society. We deal with them every day, racial profiling, you name it. From, from your standpoint, what can we do to, to change these stereotypes and build these relationships between the, the, the young black community or Latino community and our law enforcement agencies? Well, I think the big thing that you, the, the constant in all situations like the Michael Brown situation and in situations like Rodney King and the rest, you see the community react the way it does when there is an adversarial relationship 
between the police and the community. Where you don't have officers regularly interacting with the community in normal circumstances and where you have created an us-against-them type mentality, you often find a situation like this that will come to a head where the police end up clashing with the citizenry. So law, it's, a, it's incumbent upon law enforcement to, to go into the communities and become part of it, to get out of the cars, to sometimes just stop around and talk to people in the community and say, hey, I'm Officer Jones, I'm here to serve you. What can I do to make things better? But when you're heavy-handed, when you're standoffish, and when you're adversarial, it's always going to be a situation that will eventually come about where you have the police clashing with the community as, community at large. But you know what? I mean, that, that sounds great, and it'd be great if they can actually get that accomplished. But when you look at any inner city or urban area, uh, there is kind of a, a built-in mentality already. H- here is the boys in blue, and they're not that great. They don't treat individuals in our community that well. So, so why should we go out and respect the police officers? So, so I know we're asking the police officers to come into the communities and just kind of introduce themselves to the community, but is it something that the community can do themselves to, I guess, change the behavior or the perception of the police officers? Well, I'll say this. You also, our communities also have to become involved. We can, we can control our police departments by becoming more politically involved. Um, a lot, oftentimes, we don't vote, and so as a result, we end up with a leadership that's not necessarily um, on our side. So you have to become civically active in your community, and it's not the, – the big thing to understand is these situations, there's no microwave fix to them. It, mm-hmm. it took a long time for these situations to build. It's going to take a while for them to get – to become better. So you're going to you're going to ha- it's going to have to take a gradual involvement of the people in the community, going through participating civilly and peacefully, demanding their particular rights. That's what I see. The other thing that I'd like to note is, young men, and, and let me just say this: I'm not Pollyannish in my view. Young, there's a double standard in this country for people of color when it comes to the police, and I myself, as an African American male, know that there's certain things that I cannot do in the presence of police that a Caucasian person could do. And so my mentality when I come in contact with law enforcement is to survive the experience. And we have to teach our young men and our young women of color that they need to survive the experience. And what do I mean by that? I've been pulled over by the cop, And I can just tell you, if I've got on a shirt, tie, what have you, and I get pulled over by the cops, it's a different situation than if I got on T-shirts and shorts. Sure. Mm-hmm. But when I'm pulled over by the police, I know that I want to, you know, I want to put them at ease. So I cut my car off. I turn the light on in the inside. I put my hands on the steering wheel. And when he comes to the window, I'm like, can I help you, officer? And he says, do you know why I stopped you? I don't say anything because I don't want to incriminate myself. I'm like, can I help you? Then he proceeds to go on and tell me what it is he wants to do. If he asks me for my license, I said, hey, I'm going to reach for my license and my registration, and I give it to him. Now, I live in a state where you can carry a firearm in your vehicle, and I often have one in mind. So when they come up, I'm like, listen, I've got a firearm in the car. I'm licensed to carry it. I've got a concealed weapons permit and what have you. And the other thing I do is when they're talking to me and when he finishes, I ask this very important question. Officer, am I being detained? And if he says no... 
I immediately leave. I don't care what else is going on. I immediately leave. And but you have to be but you have to be common sense. You have to be smart about your encounters with the police because they're lo- they're not looking to help you out. They don't want to do you a favor. They're looking to lock you up. And that's just about anybody. But when it comes to people of color, you've got to be careful because for whatever reason, they perceive you to be a threat. And like I said, there are things that Caucasian people can do in the presence of the police that unfortunately black people cannot do. And I'm not saying it's right, but that's the world that we live in. And we have to take it as it comes. And we have to deal with the situations as they set themselves up. If you just join us, we're joined by Caesar McKnight. He's a Democratic candidate for South Carolina state seat in District 32. We're talking about race relations. We're talking about Michael Brown. You know, you, you mentioned the fact of surviving the incident. I mean, it's not like we're in a third world country where every time that a police officer or a car gets behind us, we got to constantly have that in the back of our mind, survive the incident. I mean, I have a young son myself. So, so now mm-hmm. I have to teach him how to survive, you know, the cops where, where he can't find himself in a situation where an officer, as he's trying to pull his wallet out, an officer mistaking that for some kind of a, of, of a handgun. And, and just, right. just the mere thought of that survive the incident. That, 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 that's crazy. And, and, and we're in 2014. And, and I, I say before you join the program is the fact that we have to do something as a society uh, to change it. And, and you're running, once again, for a state senate in, in South Carolina, District 32, when, when you are elected, what do you plan to do to possibly change these type of things in maybe that South Carolina area? Well, one of the things that I'm focused on primarily is changing the way that we, we deal with, crim, with criminal law here in, in South Carolina and in the United States as well. We, our state, our country now is predicated upon economic benefit from locking up persons. The United States locks up more people, incarcerates more people than China and the Soviet Union. Now, that's just crazy. And what's happened is our country over the years has developed this mentality that every, every crime committed deserves jail time. And as a result, you have, this, you, you have our prisons and our jails filled to the rafters with persons who are in there for nonviolent drug offenses. So, as a result of that, you see us having our prisons filled to the rafters, you see our communities devoid of men of color, because that's primarily who gets locked up. And so one of the things I want to do is, I think that we need to make jail available for those that truly deserve to go. Who am I talking about? Rapists, murderers, burglars, people who prey upon society itself. But this mass incarceration of nonviolent drug offenders has to stop. And what you see as a result of that, this whole war on drugs has led to the militarization of our police department. Do you see the police in Ferguson, Missouri? They look like they they look like a special forces unit. Why? In the United States of America, the police its citizenry, we have to have a paramilitary organization? That that doesn't make sense. And, and, and so one of the things I want to do is change the emphasis of locking up nonviolent felony offenders. And I want to, the thing that we should do with our drug persons, we need to spend more money in treatment. If you want to fight the war on drugs, 
number one, we need to create more jobs so people can work, and that time, and we also need to treat their their, their substance abuse. And but if how, we don't do that, we, we keep the cycle going. I'm sorry. But, 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 the, but the thing is, I mean, I love what you're saying, but how are we going to do that when in places like Seattle and Denver you have marijuana that's legal? I mean, we can say it, it's, it's used for medicinal usages, but we have people out there abusing that as well, and, and you know, the cartel is trying to get their hands on that. So, so if we're trying to do away with, you know, how we deal with criminal offenders when it comes to drugs, but on the other hand, we're making marijuana legal. Well, let me just speak to this. You see it that the prohibition of illegal drugs has not worked. It has not worked. It didn't work with alcohol. It's not going to work with illegal drugs. Now, am I advocating the legalization of, of all illicit drugs? No, I am not. That's just crazy. No. But I can tell you right now, there are some drugs that are extremely harmful, dangerous to the community, shouldn't it all be licensed? Heroin comes to mind. Meth comes to mind. But when I see somebody on marijuana, my experience as a defense lawyer and as a prosecutor before, I've never seen a person break into someone's house high on marijuana, stealing their TV. I, I've never seen that. I just don't. So if you have, and, and here's, the, here's the other thing. If the communities in Colorado and Washington State and Oregon and California want to legalize that and they feel that in their community that's acceptable, I believe that that local community should be allowed to decide that. Now, the problem is you're going to have a clash of laws because marijuana is a Schedule One drug, which means the DEA says it has no medicinal purpose and that means it's illegal. So technically, all your marijuana dispensaries right now could be raided by the DEA, all of its seeds and everybody who's engaged in the, in the sale of it, arrested. So there's a, there's a, there's a paradox there. But I, I don't think that our, our war on drugs that we fought since Richard Nixon was, pre- has, was president has been a miserable failure. We've thrown billions and billions and billions upon billions of dollars at that problem, and it has not worked. We have to do something else. Caesar, before we get out of here, you know, like I said, September 2nd, for the state of South Carolina, what you need to do, go out and punch that ballot for Caesar McKnight for the seat of Senate and the District 32, uh, Caesar, for mm-hmm. those individuals that are still on the borderline of where they're going to vote, what do you have to say to them? Got 20 seconds. Well, what I can tell you is that you have a, de- a, a decision to make between four candidates, and I believe that my, our campaign that we have is the one with the best vision for the citizens and people of District 32. We want to give tax incentives to our young people just starting out to make them exempt from state income tax so they can come work in our communities and be exempt from state income tax for the first five years. Uh, we also want to bring rural water to our rural areas because our people don't have access to countywide water and sewer. Everyone has their own little well. And for, for health reasons, for, for, for economic reasons, we have to go to a countywide water system. The other thing I want to do is improve the schools in South Carolina. I went to school here. I know that we have schools that are 60 years old with old books, and we have you go to another part of the state, and they have schools with the latest technology, brand-new buildings, and they look like colleges and universities. We have to we have to fill the education divide in this state because if the kids in the rural areas continue to suffer 
it's only going to bring down the rest of the state. A rising tide is going to lift all boats, and we all have we all will either do better or we all will continue to suffer. So I'm about empowering people so that they can be a part of our rural communities, so they can come here, thrive, raise children, and chase the American dream. That's what. But I'm there, about. there it is. You heard that from Caesar McKnight once again, September second. Get out there and vote District Thirty Two, Caesar McKnight, South Carolina Democratic candidate Caesar. Thank you for joining the program. We didn't get a chance to talk about you and your Star Wars history, but come and join the program again, and we'll definitely talk about that. I want to thank Caesar for joining the program. I want to thank my guys back in Arizona. Most importantly, I want to thank Herman Edward. I want to thank you for listening, and go out there, be great, love your life, love your family. That's Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective, Voice America Sports, and we're gone. again for stopping by. Be sure to catch Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. in the West on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll share some more great stories next week. 